are going to kick off episode 636 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear with the song A Choir of Wolves. It's from The Dread Tones. The album is The Dead Frequency. You can find them at thedreadtones.bandcamp.com. Pick up the album The Dead Frequency when you're done listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, and I am thrilled to have you here because I'm taking you back a couple of weekends when Beth and I attended KuvCon 2023. We had a panel. We had a presentation. Meet Monster Kid Radio with Beth and Derek Cook. And it was a lot of fun to chat with each other in front of a small audience at KuvCon. We recorded that event, and, well, that's what you're going to get this week here on the show. And, of course... It wouldn't be an episode of Monster Kid Radio without a look at the return of Ultraman with Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review and Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Before we get into all of that, though, I received an email from one of the listeners about last week's episode where we talked about the movie The Mask of Fu Manchu with Scott Glancy. This email comes from listener Lee P. He writes, May I congratulate you and Scott on your even, quote-unquote, handed quote-unquote, handling, on the incoming later, of racism in this episode. So many people nowadays tend to forget, or ignore, racism can affect anybody, even those of the same race. The Nazis didn't give the Jews a pass just because they were the same color, for example. And the pun, you missed out on handgate in your mask coverage. There's still a debate whether Sir Lionel's hand thrown over the wall is a real hand or not. Greg Mank covers it in his commentary and I encourage anyone to listen to his commentaries or read his books. He's extraordinarily well-read and informative. Hey, thanks for writing in, Lee. You know, I didn't bring it up because, honestly, I wasn't aware of it. I had not watched the movie with the commentary track, and Scott didn't bring it up either for whatever reason. I did a little bit of research, and by that I mean I spent about five minutes on Google and Bing trying to find information about this, but I, I didn't really find much, so I guess I'm going to have to go back and rewatch the movie with the commentary track on. Was it a real hand that was thrown over? Obviously, it wasn't the actor's real hand, but was it a real severed hand used in the film? I, I don't... Ooh, ah, oh, I don't like that idea at all. Ugh. Ugh. I don't know, listeners, what do y'all think? Was that a real hand that was thrown over the wall and tumbled down through the tree before it hit the ground and plopped in front of the... Oh. Oh. I don't like that at all. Ugh. Ugh. Anyway, uh, thank you for writing in, Lee. I appreciate it. And yeah, this was an episode that was a little tricky to put together, a little tricky to edit, and uh, I spent a little extra time with it, but I'm glad we did. I think it's important to talk about these things and not sugarcoat it or, or whitewash it or anything like that. I think it's important to acknowledge some of the failings of the past, because if you don't, if you just kind of ignore it, you're kind of disrespecting the history of it and how far we've come since the unfortunate events or attitudes portrayed in movies like this. This is something that we're going to talk about briefly uh, during the uh, Rose City Comic Con appearance that's coming up this weekend, uh, and I'll be recording that as well, but we'll definitely discuss it then. Sue, again, thank you for writing in, and listeners, if you want to be like Lee and write in about anything you've heard about here on the podcast, please email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call and leave me a voicemail at 360-524-2484.
I'll go over that again at the end of the show. Of course, that information is available on our website at monsterkidradio.net. All right, let's talk a little bit more about KuvCon. I am working on a YouTube video for the Team Death YouTube channel. The vlog that we're running over there, the day in the life of Team Death, where I talk about the day that we had when we went to KuvCon. So you'll actually have an opportunity to see what it looked like and what it was like to be at the event. I will tell you, though, that the panel room was all the way down near one end of the mall and wasn't really labeled very well. The panel attendants, not just for us, but for what we saw, eh, you know, really KuvCon is more of a cosplay and let's hang out around the main stage kind of event versus let's go down to the panel room or spend time with the actors that they brought in. I didn't see the actors outside of just briefly seeing them chilling in one of the lounge rooms while we were walking down to the panel room ourselves. So don't know how their experience was. I can just kind of talk about our experience. I will say that next time, if there is a next time and Beth and I do go again or anybody from Monster Radio goes, I will bring better microphones. So we were using the mics that were provided in the panel room. It was basically just a couple of handheld mics and a couple of speakers set up on either side of the table. So the recording quality, the audio sound isn't usually, it's not up to snuff as to what we normally do. But, you know, I did do some work with it and clean things up a little bit. It was still a fun conversation that I want to share with everybody. So you're going to get all of that after you get Kenny, after you get Mark, after this. Nothing can stop it. The Blob. Starring Steve McQueen. It creeps. It crawls. It's slithery. It's slimy. The Blob. Plus Dinosaurus, both in shrieking color. from end to end. Even Scotland Yard is baffled. But two men of intrepid daring fight back. It's Abbott and Costello at their hilarious best. Battling fiction's most fearsome themes in Bud Abbott and Lou Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Co-starring Boris Karloff as Robert Louis Stevenson's fabulous double demon. Mr. Hyde will kill him. Mr. Hyde will kill him. With Helen Westhart, Craig Stevens, and Reginald Denny. Bud and Lou are tearing up the town, trapping the beast among a bevy of beauties, adding turmoil to terror in a house of horrors that would frighten even Frankenstein. Come on, we can kill Give me a hand. And what a riot when they get funny notions from deadly potions. Hey, Slim. Wow. Those guys must be seeing things. Pay no attention to them, they're drunk. You know, there's always a way of... Piggy!
live from the land of light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes. It's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Return of Ultraman, Episode 29, Jiro Rides a Monster. Original air date, October 22, 1971. While waiting for his friend Yoshiko, Jiro is given a box puzzle by her father, a woodworker. Go fiddles with the puzzle that Jiro brought home to the degree that it almost makes him late for his scheduled flight on the Space Arrow, which is taking him to inspect an unmanned observation station located above Japan. Obsessed with solving the puzzle, Go takes it with him into space, which puts Jiro in an awkward position when Yoshiko shows up demanding that the box be returned. Jiro promises its return that same day, but a distracted Go leaves the box floating around the space station and fails to adjust the station's control settings correctly. Go pleads for the chance to make everything right, and Captain Ibuki relents, only for Go to discover that the space station is now missing. It crash lands in a western suburb of Tokyo, where Jiro falls into it and is trapped overnight. And that's when a monster, fused with the satellite like a giant hermit crab, begins a march of destruction with Jiro in tow. Jiro Rides a Monster, the title of episode 29, succinctly summarizes the charm of this installment. At this point, viewers of Ultraman have come to expect changes in tone from one week to the next, and here, the mood is light and the emphasis is on fun. In fact, there is no attempt to explain what happened to the observation station or how the hermit crab kaiju attached itself, where it came from, nothing like that is dealt with even in passing. It's really a story about Jiro's commitment to his friends. And even though Go takes some steps backward in the story from a maturity standpoint, it's also about his devotion to Jiro, the relationship at the heart of the entire series. And lest we forget that this is an Ultraman show, our hero unleashes a dramatic new weapon in this episode, the seafood-impaling Ultra Lance. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Mansky reporting. Here. In this primitive river-bottom wilderness in southern Arkansas, along with deer, duck, crane, and beaver, lurks a creature that walks upright. Whether it is a man, a monster, or a myth, no one really knows. What we do know is the people around Falk, Arkansas, say they have seen such a creature nearly 250 times since 1954. And that this creature, whatever it is, 
emits one of the most terrifying sounds ever recorded. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today we are hearing a panel discussion from KuvCon entitled Meet Monster Kid Radio. In honor of that, I thought we could look at famous meetings of Filmland, movies covered by FM where monsters and others got to know each other for the first time. In FM 41, we see that our friend, Bella Lugosi, met Mother Riley. But by mistake, the metal servant is delivered to a cookie old woman known as Mother Riley. Through remote control, the would-be ruler of the world contacts his metal man and learns where it is. He orders it to move itself to his house and to kidnap Mother Riley while he is at it. Fearing she may know too much, the vampire keeps Mother Riley captive. But the nutty Mrs. Riley doesn't know enough. She turns amateur detective in order to find out the hidden secrets of the vampire. When Lugosi leaves for the dockyards to visit a ship bearing a valuable chart he wants, Mother Riley bursts into a whirlwind of action in an all-out effort to wreck the vampire's plans. Through methods both unusual and hilarious, the old lady ruins the plot of the vampire and puts an end to his sinister threat of worldwide conquest. Lugosi defeated by an old woman most fantastic film we've ever heard of. No pair meets as many people as Abbott and Costello. In FM 154, they meet the mummy, the invisible man, and the killer Boris Karloff. They also meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which was also mentioned in FM 94. But the most famous meeting of them all for A and C was when they met the most popular of the monsters, Frankenstein, described in FM 105. The boys open the other crate and Wilbur covers his face in horror as he sees the Frankenstein monster within. Chick reads the legend aloud to him, but ridicules it. Who would be stupid enough to believe a ridiculous tale like that? Wilbur is ready with the answer. Me! He backs into a guillotine, cutting off a wax head. Wilbur hunts for the wax head, figuring it may have fallen into the open coffin, but finds himself staring into the bloodshot eyes of Dracula. While the boys were opening the Frankenstein coffin, Dracula had crept back to his own slumber cot. He hypnotizes Wilbur and puts him on a pedestal where he can only watch helplessly as Dracula revives the monster. As the two unnatural beings pass the statuesque Wilbur, Frankenstein reacts in fright. Don't be afraid. He won't hurt you, Dracula tells him. Frankenstein met a lot of folks in his stiff-legged travels. First, in Monster World 3, he met the Wolfman. Suffice it to say that before the film is through, Larry meets up with Frankenstein's monster. Lionel Atwell also puts in one of his excellent appearances. There is a mad lab experiment, an explosion, a ferocious fight between the man-wolf and monster, and a bursting dam. Later, in FM 39, he met the space monster. Modern movie audiences are demanding more excitement than ever from science fiction thrillers and the motion picture industry is rising to meet the challenge. 
Frankenstein Meets the Space Monster fits more screen adventure into one package than a similar film to date. Featured in the new Frankenstein are Flying Saucers, Robots Full of Space Age Glamour, A Blood-Chilling Monster from Outer Space, and Thrilling Glimpses of Modern Rockets and Satellites. One of the spaceship guards releases the invader's secret weapon, the hideous monster named Mole. Mole attacks Frankenstein. Karen escapes, but Frankenstein is dragged back into the ship by Mole. There, a terrific battle ensues. Frankenstein is losing, but finally breaks away. He overpowers the guard at the entrance to the control room and grabs his laser gun. Frankenstein now begins a melee of destruction. He destroys Mole, Marcusan, and Nadir, and finally the spaceship itself. Even Frankenstein's daughter was popular as we learn about her meeting with Jesse James in Monster World 8. At the mission, Maria alibis to Jesse that it was Rudolph who forced her to write the note. Jesse demands to see Hank, but she insists he left the mission with her brother. When he threatens to choke the truth from her, she cries out for Igor to save her. The monster, no longer recognizing his former friend, brutally knocks him unconscious and obeys his mistress' command to carry Jesse into the laboratory. Maria now plans to perform a similar operation on Jesse. But Frankenstein's strangest meeting was featured in Monster World No. 1, where he meets Mr. Magoo. As the nearsighted Mr. Magoo on his annual tour to Europe drives through a bleak, deserted area at the height of a summer storm, he sights the castle of Professor Frankenstein, who is engaged in his secret experiment of creating a mechanical man. Mistaking the castle for a hotel, Magoo parks his car, walks over the drawbridge, covering a moat filled with alligators, and is eagerly welcomed by the professor, who has just concluded an experiment of transferring a rooster's brain into his mechanical monster. Next step, chuckles the professor, is to endow the monster with the brains of a man. The nearsighted Magoo seems a willing victim as he enters the laboratory and believes he's at the hotel bar. Just in time, he steps out of the electric chair to go for a swim in the hotel's Olympic-sized pool, the moat, and to frolic with the rubber alligators which appear so realistic. Refreshed by his dip, Magoo again occupies the professor's experimental chair for a haircut, but stalks away when the professor clamps a bowl on his head, protesting, No, no, bowl haircuts went out with Victoria. In the resultant fur, the professor is entangled in his complicated equipment, and we find he has acquired the voice of the rooster, and the monster has become human. Magoo departs from the weird castle to farewells of cock-a-doodle-doo. Cock-a-doodle-doo indeed, grumbles Magoo. What a language. Can't understand a word they're saying. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. Dracula has risen from the grave. Boy, does he give a hickey. Only once did I risk the most distant glimpse of the grim and foreboding House of Usher. The mere sight of that awesome structure, huge and menacing, struck me chill with fear. It lay like a malignant sore that festered in the middle of the wasteland. Overhead, the clouds hung low, and a ghastly vapor rose from the ground. It seemed as if the roots of the house touched the very coals of hell. This was the House of Usher.
The history of the ushers is a history of savage degradations. And always in this house, the house itself is evil now. Edgar Allan Poe's spine-tingling The House of Usher with Vincent Price in chilling color and cinemascope. Poe's timeless The House of Usher. The green slime are here! All right, so this is KuvCon, and the name of the panel is Meet Monster Kid Radio with Beth as Derek Cook. I'm not Beth. I uh, know I'm Beth. You're Derek. I'm Derek. Yes, and she is my wife. And it is Cook. And it is Cook. Don't cook. listen to anything they said out there. They, they didn't know. They didn't know. And that's okay because the name of this panel is Meet Monster Kid Radio, so we're just now meeting us, even though I've been doing this podcast for over 10 years now. Ten years, wow, a decade. A decade. Now, Monster Kid Radio is a weekly show uh, on the internet. It's a podcast, so radio on demand, download it, listen to it, whatever you want. It's a weekly show talking about the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. That's what we say on the show every week uh, as we're playing some spooky instrumental surf music. And every week we talk about a classic monster movie, uh, whether it's one of the more popular ones like Dracula, Frankenstein, things like that. Or sometimes we'll talk about some of the more off-the-wall stuff. The Ed Wood films like Clan Man from Outer Space, or even something like Motto's The Hands of Fate. I love them all, and I talked about them every week on the show for over 630-plus episodes. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And we're going to be celebrating a decade of dishing about monsters at Rose City Comic Con in two weeks. So come to Rose City Comic Con. That's true. Yeah, just two weeks away at Rose City Comic Con. But uh, today here at KubeCon... We've seen uh, some great crossplay. I'm really impressed with some of the uh, classic monster crossplay and, and some of the new ones that I might want to try. So I haven't seen any of the classic monsters, but I have seen like a ghost face from Scream. I did see a Michael Myers uh, walking around as well. What have you seen? Oh, I saw Bride of Crankins. You did? Yeah, and that was, that was impressive because oh. you had the whole week going and everything. Uh, and then... There was some sort of Dracula, and I'm not sure if it was a vampiric character from an anime or just a vampire on their own, but, you know, Dracula is Dracula in all his many forms. <laughs> Which is actually something that you wanted to talk about, that Dracula has been with us. I mean, the novel is in the public domain over 100 years old. The original film came out in 1931, so we're coming up on, what is that, 92 years? 92 years, do yeah. Math, do the math real quick, carry the one, divide by whatever. Uh, but so 1931 is when the first Dracula film came out, yet we're still hitting movies today. We just went and saw one a few weeks ago. Yeah, The Last Voyage of the Demeter, which is basically a Dracula story. And that fills in the blanks that you kind of have open from the original Dracula story, and it's awesome. Well, at least in, in terms of... I guess the book, too, but most movies skip over the sea voyage. So, yeah, we're doing it. 90 years to get that piece filled in, you know? It's been done a few times in, like, novels and such, but to have a mainstream, I'm going to say mainstream, I don't know how big it was, really, it was studios, but a mainstream horror film from Hollywood still mining that same material. It's just super cool. It is. It's neat to see how it affects all kinds of characters across the board. Um, you know, people think of classic monsters and there have been some modern takeaways from that with like um shape of water that's a very clear gilman exposition and so, so 
you know, a few, a few different takes on vampires. I, I won't say Twilight is directly linked to Dracula, but, Still you know, the, the Twilight fans are probably great-granddaughters of this original <laughs> vampiric sensation of brands. So. Um, but we see it in other ways, like you have the Prometheum Man in, in Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. But even in our superheroes today, you see those sorts of things. Captain America is just a government Frankenstein. And the Hulk kind of is too. So, you know, two different examples of attempts at making the perfect being. It's interesting you bring up the Hulk because, I mean, you brought this up in conversation with me before. Uh, the Hulk has that Frankenstein-ish element to it, but it's also got the Jekyll and Hyde element too. Yes. Which is, again, a classic horror story, trope, plot, theme, whatever you want to call it. And I love that we're still seeing things like that being reflected in popular media now. So yeah, we see it in like comic books, we see it across all kinds of different characters in cosplay. In fact, we're, we're just working on a cosplay ourselves for, for an event coming up. Uh, we are? Well, sort of. I guess so. About a, a themed wedding we're going to. Yeah. Yeah. And you would have thought Derek would have taken that chance to be some sort of universal monster. But I, I've never done cosplay. <laughs> I don't have the confidence for it. So I just don't have the confidence. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes and maybe we'll share pictures online with you all if it goes well. I mean, I dress up in costumes, but I've never like gotten done up and gone to a convention or something like PleaseCon uh, like this. It's just not something I've ever felt the courage to do. Although, if I get away doing plastic monsters, maybe I'd be a little more. Okay, we'll see. Maybe that's what we need to plan for next year. Yeah, okay. Okay. But I do like, like you know, kind of go back to what you were saying with Captain America being like a Frankenstein thing. I love that Captain America is like a mad science story that went right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As opposed to all the mad science stories that go wrong that make it the horror movies. Which I think is kind of fair. So I do like that element of, of the Captain America origin story. Well, if we get not only, you know, Captain America himself is what happened when it went right, but you also get the when it goes wrong because you get the other son, what happens if a super soldier isn't done correctly or if they're misused. That's so true. you do get a, a little bit of both sides on that one, I think. That's true. That's true. You know, I was looking at horror movies that are coming out and one of the big franchises is about to drop another installment. We've got a new Saw movie coming. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people sharing, I think I just heard everybody roll their eyes. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh boy, another Saw film. Um, the thing is, is that formula goes back before Saw. And one thing that we wanted to talk a little bit about, we started to a little bit, was the modern horror stuff having roots in classic horror. Mm -hmm. Go back to a couple of Vincent Price films, the abominable Dr. Fives oh, yeah. from the 60s, where he is the villain because he's Vincent Price. Of course, he's the villain, and somebody has wronged him, and he has found the various people that have wronged him and led to his wife's death and creates these elaborate traps that end up killing these people. It's proto-Saw, or Saw is... I won't say ripped off, but influenced by what Dr. Fives was doing, the Vincent Christ times. And I find that really interesting. Have you seen any of the soft films? Uh, I've seen one of the soft films. Have you seen any of the Fives films? Yes, one also. And I was actually thinking with that, that made me think less of Saw and more of 
in classic uh, DC comics, uh, Dr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the way that he, you know, he's basically trained to freeze time with people or put them in capsules where he can control them and control the human condition. Um, I, I can't think of Mr. Freeze, so without hearing Schwarzenegger voice <laughs> in my head. My name is Freeze, one of 12, oh, it's a chilling sound of your doom. I can't, I can't get it out of my head. And I've seen that movie in both English and German, so I hear it in both languages. Oh, no, I had, yeah, oh, he did his own voiceover, of course, for that, you know. But that is also, yeah, you know, kind of a It kind of goes back to that a little bit. I'd be shocked if it didn't go back. If there wasn't a direct influence in what the characters created. Well, then you could lean into what you know. What other characters are that way? Bane is sort of <laughs> in an organic form raised to to be this great hulking behemoth. Well, a lot of the Batman mythos does come from some horror elements. You can oh. hear that on the recording, folks. That's the Unipiper outside. That's our good friendly Unipiper. Yep, cruising down the hallways of the mall. He's awesome. Love him. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the Batman mythos does come from dark, gothic horror storytelling. Arkham comes from Lovecraft and Robert E. Howell. That's true. So, so you talked about, we talked about the Demeter. We talked about Saw. Yes. Um, I, you know, you could even like them see it in other movies, like The Nun has another version coming out. When you look at what sort of creature is it? Yeah, yeah, it's wearing a habit. It's dressed like a nun. But you go to the root creature, and nearly every time in any of these, you're going to find one of those basic universal monsters and some boring campaign. Well, and there's a new Exorcist film coming out as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, we just saw the trailer for the new Exorcist film, and. Again, the idea of a demon possession horror film is not original. That's something that goes all the way back as well. There's a film from the 50s. It's not from Universal, but it's called Might of the Demon or Curse of the Demon, depending on which side of the ocean you saw them. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's also a demon possession. Demons going after a guy or a movie, and it's terrifying. It's really good. Um, Raising the pipe. Well, there he <laughs> past. I think he's a floor below us. That's awesome. I really hope he's coming through on the recording for everybody. Anyway. Well, he's right up here, isn't he? Oh, wow. Yeah. There, oh, there he goes! <laughs> Killed it nice. all. Nice. But yeah, you should really watch my Bit of Demon. I think you dig it. It's again, it's about a guy who gets plagued by a demon. And the demon possession story goes all the way back to Exorcist, to all of this, and I love that movie too. You know, we talked about these original monsters, and, and a lot of them came out of uh, gospel horror novels before mm -hmm. they were films, um, and how they can play into TV shows, and, and, and Penny Dreadful being one of my favorite that just mm -hmm. takes them all and mashes them up in a nice British stew, if you will. And then for some reason throws it into the Wild West briefly. I don't know. That, that was weird. But I'm down with that. He's got cowboys and monsters. I'm cow in. Cowboy werewolves was a little too far for me. Oh, I don't know. On. See, that goes back to the 50s and 60s too. Billy the Kid meets Dracula. <laughs> oh. Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. These are real movies and they're amazing. I've seen with Jesse Ish. James. But yeah. We're, they're, they're good. Ish. <laughs> I love them, actually. I love them all, though. And that's something, again, we do on Monster Kid Radio as we talk about the love of these classic monster movies, no matter how quote-unquote bad they are. If you're enjoying it, enjoy it. Embrace it. Don't call it a guilty pleasure, just enjoy it, you know? Well, you talked about in the one movie being so scary, and that 
The Exorcist for me was definitely one well, of the first ones I saw that just terrified me. Yeah. And it was like, I don't think I'm sleeping tonight after seeing that. I think I was nine years old. That was probably too young to see um, Well, and you were brought up Catholic too. So. Yes, so yeah, yeah. yeah. So, extra trauma all at, yeah. ladled on, on top of that. But um, we actually, in honor of the new movie, we like, brought back at Scaregrounds PDX this year, we brought back our Exorcist grill into our uh, Silver Spring pot. So you can all get uh, a close encounter with the uh, special little girl in, in your <laughs> beautiful little bedroom and uh, maybe a few other friends beside. But yeah, you know, it's filling over even in these haunted houses and other things, those classic monsters. We come back to it every time. Uh, one of the haunts I'm actually working on with designing a Manadu this year is the complex and we are doing a full take on how many different ways can we play with the Frankenstein myth so that we have several different tiers of surgical suites and all the different horrible eras, eras of humankind uh, attempting to make that perfect being. The Frankenstein story is so pervasive, so iconic, uh, and, and I wish I had where I read this. I wish I had the source, the reference, but I, I remember writing a paper in college and I stumbled across a factoid that there had been more films based on the Frankenstein story mm -hmm. than the Christian Bible. Wow. There are so many Frankenstein films out there. It's such, uh, like I said, the pervasive, the tectonic, it's important and influential. Because um, we see it represented in the haunted house that you're working with, this fairgrounds PDX, you see it in the serial audit. You, you see Frankenstein everywhere. Yeah, that's true. Even, you know, even more modern uh, animation, you have like Frankenweenie and stuff that, you know, mm -hmm. cute little dog takes on a monster. So it, it really is everywhere. I know with ours, one thing that we really wanted to focus and, and bring it back towards the original story was the concept of which is the greater evil or which is scarier or just more dangerous, the monster or the maker. And so for every monster that you meet, you're also going to meet the maker. And in fact, they may be even more terrifying than the monster uh, because they might uh, collect you for their next uh, project. Right. I mean, that's, and I think that's why the material is so, such fertile ground for filmmakers is because you can go so many different ways about that. If you're watching the black and white movies from Universal from the 30s and 40s, yeah, it's about the monster itself. If you're watching the color films from the 60s, from Hammer films, it's about the doctor and the, and the man being the monster. The monster isn't, though the creation isn't asked to be made, he just kind of is because some evil dude put him together. Uh, and that's again one of the things that I love about Frankenstein and why you can see so much of it influencing so many other pieces of pop culture. You know, we took the dance around a little bit. You said something earlier about putting them all on a big stew. And it occurred to me that we haven't even said this yet, but I think you're aware of this. The shared universe is such a big part of the modern cinematic experience, Dan. That's true. That comes from the classic monsters. It's, they yeah, did it first. Because they had all kinds of crossover movies. In 19... Abbott and Costello with Everett yeah. and their brother. Uh, 1943, I believe. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Kicked the whole thing off. Where Frankenstein... Matt, the Wolf Manning, as, as advertised. As advertised. A simpler time. And then a couple of years, you know, I mean, back of that was House of Dracula and House of Frankenstein. It was the big three mixing it up and doing a thing. And then he said, I'm going to Frankenstein. They brought them all together. 
And you know, one of the things of a shared cinematic universe comes from the class of monster uh, genre, movement, era. Yeah, ma mashup. I mean, Universal basically introduced mashups, or if you will, monster mashups. Ah, that's in kitty there. Yeah. Well, then I would continue that dead into the 50s and 60s with the Godzilla films. And now, Marvel does any the superhero fly activity. Everybody else trying to be like that. Mm -hmm. Although the modern horror franchise, The Conjuring, which Lamont is part of, does yeah. that just fine now. So. But yeah, that's true. That, that whole concept of a cinematic universe and, and overlap between them and the idea that there can be more than one evil at a time in the world, but also maybe more than one, you know, hero to, to come to the rescue. Yeah. That does yeah. date all the way back. That's true, that's true. You mentioned Stare Grounds a little and that's one of the things with Long Ticket Radio as well, is that we talk about some of our other projects and our other uh, endeavors that happen to do with, or have to do with the spooky stuff. And you are one of the hot managers, one of the people involved with Scout Grange PDX. If you're in the area, in the Portland, Oregon area this October, please check it out. Uh, yeah, we're going to be back at Oaks Park for our, our, I don't know, I've lost count of how many years we've been there now, three, four, five, something like that, uh, year in a row, and we are bigger than ever, not only do we have the three full haunted houses, full-size haunted houses, but we have uh, several side haunts and all kinds of other attractions if you've ever wanted to be buried alive in a coffin, we, we've got that for you, if you're doing oh, nasses. You enjoy throwing axes. That's axes, not X's, just to be clear. Can you uh, throw axes at X's? Uh, no. It's an insurance symbol. But you can win a prize and throw that at your X. Was that? No? Not as good. Okay, you can shove them through the haunt and we'll scare them. Okay. Okay, that sounds good. But yeah, we, we're going to have uh, quite a, a crazy little time out at Oaks Amusement Park uh, there in downtown Portland, just off of the Selwood Bridge there. And starting October 6th, We'll be haunting uh, every Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then as we get closer to Halloween, we've got a few Monday, Tuesdays that we're adding in there. And closing it up after Halloween with our final weekend, November 3rd and 4th, for our extra dark, extra scary nights. I'm really excited. We have a couple of new takes on haunts from years past that we've updated, added some new things to, and added quite a few more ways for our monsters to come at you. Uh, some amazing new animatronics that are gonna make some people pee themselves. I, I just don't know how else to say it. They're pretty scary. And uh, just the most amazing scare cast. We've just finished casting everybody that I have ever seen us put together. I, I couldn't believe the caliber of people that came out. And usually we're having to dig down into like our C, C minuses uh, on the grading scale for who we're casting. Everything was like P plus or better this year. It was amazing. Everybody was so good. Um, and it's going to be a lot of fun out there with all of those monsters running around. In addition to the big haunts, there will be plenty of your favorite haunt and scary characters out in the room to meet. So 80s classics like uh, Beetlejuice or... Uh, I know there's going to be a Freddy Krueger. Oh, yeah, Freddy. I know the Freddy. Pennywise, of course, loves to show up because anywhere that children gather. And um, <laughs> Pennywise. Yeah, you you want him to not be Pennywise? I mean, that's what he is, you know. And then uh, see if you can spot any of our other uh, classic monsters, but in, in their own guise throughout some of our other months, including our Monster Hunter month. 
Just going to have cryptids and uh, creeps from all over the world. Looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Because I'm married to you, I get to hear about all this stuff on the other side of the screen during your Zoom meetings. And, you know, <laughs> we do promote it on Monster Kid Radio as well. And again, that's, that's part of who we are. I mean, that's the name of this panel is Meet Monster Kid Radio. And those are the different things that we do that are still kind of related to all this spooky stuff that we're into. Um, as for me, uh, I'm an author. And yes. I'm writing spooky stuff. So I've got books about monster hunters or supernatural superheroes. And uh, I actually have a couple of those with me today and I'm trying to sell them because this is a convention exclusive, the superhero novel, and uh, once it's gone, it's gone. So we're, we're, you know, we're doing that as well. And that's something that I'm really passionate about. It's not just podcasting, it's a story called medium, but as a writer, as a storyteller myself, trying to tell stories in other exciting ways uh, through novels, through prose, through some audio drama projects that we're going to launch next year as well, which will be for a podcast, but a little bit different than what this is. Mm -mm. Yeah, no, I'm really excited about, you know, taking your uh, first in your Song and Judgment series to uh, Rose City Comic Con in a couple of weeks, you know, have it here. Um, I think it's a neat take on having a supernatural superhero that's also just kind of an everyday dude trying to get by. <laughs> he doesn't have government help. Shield is not bankrolling his uh, lifestyle or anything. He's just a regular dude trying to make things work. And then, of course, the, the consummate monster hunter. Yeah, so one of the things that I absolutely love are stories about monster hunters. So as much as I love Dracula... You also want him caught. I want him caught. Van, Van Helsing's my guy, though. I, it's I, a weird dichotomy. It's Van Helsing's story that I care about. You know, when it comes to these stories, I want the monster hunter to come out on top. So I want Van Helsing to catch the monster. I want the luchadors to catch the monsters and the luchador monster moves from the 60s and 70s in Mexico. Oh, okay, okay, but one case, though, I, I, you want the creature to win. Well, none of the, everything that the creature does isn't his fault. <laughs> the creature from the Black Lagoon is innocent. We went to his home. We messed up his house. Stand your ground laws, man. No? You, you know what, it's it's just it's your podcast ending. <laughs> I'll give you that one. No, we King Konged him. We came and messed with this environment and then took him out. Of course he's gonna go crazy and we didn't have a problem. So King Kong is also innocent. It wasn't his fault. We we went there and we, we kidnapped him. We King Kong knocked him. Now how about Godzilla? Okay, well Godzilla <laughs> Well, I mean they did drop an atomic bomb on Japan, I think. I think Godzilla just came and took it out on Japan, too. Let's, uh, it yeah, it's misplaced like aggression. Like, at least Lothra was trying to take out Newkirk City or whatever it was. Yeah. Well, later on, Godzilla became, like, the, the protector of the Incon, so, you know, he, he, he turned became it around. Like, he turned it around. Like Tony Stark, I love Redemption. Redemption thing. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, I love me a good monster hunter story, so I have a character named Malk Temple, who uh, is a monster hunter for out here. You uh, have a vampire problem or a zombie problem, he needs to be to deal with it. Call up Mark, and for a price, he'll come and take care of it. And I've got a collection of short stories that's available right now, and there's a volume two coming next year. So, you know, the podcast itself has kind of opened up a lot of opportunities for me in terms of uh, other expressions of horror and monster kid, dumb and monster love. I am a monster kid, you know, and for those of you who don't know, 
a monster kid traditionally is somebody who grew up in the 60s watching black and white television monster movies. Well, I didn't grow up in the 60s, I was born in 73, I'm done HMX. But I still believe on the monster kid because I still love everything that makes a monster kid a monster kid. Classic movies on TV, you know, the comic books, the magazines, the models, the toys. I just love the classic monsters so much. They speak to me in a way that the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the current films have done. Mm. And I think for me, I had read the books that the go along with Monsters, Monsters long before I'd seen the movies explicitly dealing with them. But I did grow up with a big old stack of VHS tapes that had episodes of the monsters. Yes. And so, like, what a fun, like, thing. And it was this crummy old TV that, it wasn't really color, but it, like, had the dials where you could tweak it to make it feel like it was color. This was only in the 80s. I'm not that old, okay? <laughs> like, it was just a crummy old TV hooked up to a VCR. And I would just watch those over and over and over. It would stand up around trying to base there, and it was great. That would be amazing. You know, the monsters, I mean, the monsters, how they got influence. I'd but like turn it to make it look all pink and pretend I was really on set with them and stuff. Did you know back then? I did, yes. I'd, I'd seen it in a magazine uh, that was about monster stuff, and so that's why I wanted my whole bedroom to be pink. It wasn't, it was like the goth thing wanting to scream out. Everyone's like, oh, you were so pink as a little girl. I had like a pink canopy bed with um, pink walls and uh, pink wallpaper from the chair rail down and pink carpet and all the bedding was pink and fluffy and the top of the canopy was bits. It was a lot of pink, okay? But it was all because I was like obsessed with Lily Munster and her decorating style and the idea that goss could be something other than just black. I did not know that about you. Yeah. It makes me love you even more. That's the reason. <laughs> um, yeah, for those of you who don't know, the set for the Munsters was all done up in various shades of paint. It was shot in black and white, and it just read better on screen. One cannot. So it's cool. I actually went down on the playground, just got really mad at this annoying blonde girl that was like one of the popular. So when it was just like six, right? It was up last year, it was at a school with a playground. And she said something nasty to me about like being a goth or something. And I was like, oh, whatever, stop it, Marilyn. And I was like, walked off because she, she kind of had that look, but that was unfair because Marilyn would never, but. The stuff that Marilyn needs to go on a t-shirt. Yeah. That really does. We'll, we'll, we'll put that together. <laughs> Goes along with sure, Jan. And I love that, I love that. But yeah, no, I had a little different uh, entry into the world of monsters and all of that, but um, had come to a, a greater appreciation of the classics, especially the ones that you've introduced to me about the early film ones I've seen in 3D. I've chosen which ones to show you very carefully, because you, I... You showed me Manos, so I... Mean. I did show you Manos, the hands of fate. <laughs> and you didn't divorce, I waited we were married to show you that Yeah, one. bottom taper, worse being... <laughs> so, I'm going to peel back the curtain just a little bit. We have one person in the room with us right now. <laughs> There's one person, and, and I am so appreciative uh, that you're here. Do you have any questions or anything? Mm -hmm. Is the Wolfman considered a cryptid? I have never thought about him in that context, but I kind of like it. I have a, a person who contributes to my podcast. His name's Mark Matsky, and he's involved in a lot of uh, cryptid. 
research and such. He does documentaries about hunting for Bigfoot and things like that. So I'm gonna ask him too what his take is on it, because I I've never really considered it, but I, I kind of like the idea. Would a cryptid be considered a classical or classic monster? Mm -hmm. Bigfoot. And didn't they just do another big push to look for the Wapalapus monster that we just recently did something with that? Um, yeah, and you know, I've talked a little bit about that on my podcast as well. There have been, especially in the 60s, uh, a handful of films, uh, The Legend of Bobby Creek and things along those lines, uh, that had come out to purportedly tell the true story of certain cryptids being seen or spotted, that sort of thing. Um, and I have talked about them on my show. What do you think? As somebody who's not in it as deep as I am, who's had years and years and years of lazily, this is a classic monster, this isn't. Is Bigfoot to them part of the, uh, the, the classic monster universe? I guess that then do you think would say that they that they could be because they fit that Bigfoot definitely fits into a similar cryptid to the creature. It is this mythical thing that people are gonna go and find maybe and maybe they can capture it, maybe they can't, maybe we gotta come back several more times, you know, whatever. And Bigfoot is similar in, in that way. And I think you could say the wolfman fits there too if you look at it in terms of being like a werewolf as an ancient thing, and a vampire is an ancient thing too. True. We can certainly see the connection in. Vampire tales predate Christianity, so I mean. And come from various different cultures, not, not just the, the, the Euros, European-centric, but Eastern European-centric background. Right? There's tales of vampires in the like, uh, ancient Asia, things like that. You, you mentioned Creature a few times, Creature from the Black Pavilion. Yeah, the whole movie starts as a unfair cryptid. Well, that whole movie came about because somebody heard a story about somebody telling a story about a fishman that lived out in the rainforest somewhere. And somebody thought that sounded like they did for a movie. So, yeah, I could totally see the connection there. Well, and I think you could argue that in the way that Universal used them originally, and frankly, even the way that Holloway has used them in the 80s and 90s, the mummy is a cryptid, is a, a regional cryptid duet because, yeah, the movie The Mummy with Brennan Fraser, it tried to kind of put a backstory to the whole thing, but the guy in bandages isn't scary just because some backstory. He's scary because he's come back to life and that can't be good, and so you pretty much need to get out of there or he's going to kill you. That, that's the basic premise of any mummy story. So, just kind of dovetail back to something we were talking about earlier, the mummy movies are the proto-slasher films. That the slasher films of the Hades, the Jason movies, the Friday the 13th, like the Nine Nine Elm Streets, the slashers are there to punish the children who might have done something wrong, whether it's having commercial sex, smoking the hawada, whatever it is they're doing, they're, right. the, well, the killers come to punish them. Mm -hmm. Well, the mummy films, the mummy comes to kill somebody who did something wrong, usually violating the tomb, but it's basically a proto-slasher. We, again, we see the influence happening. That's something else that I love. Again, to go back to the classic monster movies, being there at all comes fan. Mm -hmm. And I love me the mummy movies. The short talking mummy movies. <laughs> I love mummy movies. That's like right up there near the top of my list of favorite of all the time types of monster movies. I was trying to think. Can you think of any examples um, other than just a straight, this is the Invisible Man again, like 
League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, obviously they got an invisible man. Yes, they just straight up say, this is the invisible man. We're not even going to sugarcoat it. That's what he is. Boom. I was like, I need to know. Yep, there was a lab accident. Now I'm this way. Great. Um, Other than that, can you think of any examples, kind of a little modern lexicon, where the invisible man comes into to play like that? Well, they they did recently do, a couple years ago, that invisible man film. Right. Um, Before that... There was The Hollow Man, Kevin Bacon, uh, and Memoirs of an Invisible Man with, of all people, Chevy Chase. Uh, as okay. the Invisible Man. That's, that, that's an interesting one. Oh, like directed that. by John Carpenter, so a modern horror director. Um, not one of his best. The Invisible Man's an interesting case. But see, in all those yeah. cases, it really is just that straight-up Invisible yep. Man story. Yep. It doesn't seem to be a way to tweak that mm-hmm. in a way that some of the others, like Frankenstein or Dragon, are able to. Yeah, I mean, you kind of stumped on that one. The Invisible Man's an interesting case overall in terms of classic monsters anyway. Um, Universal, whenever they push out a re-release of their DVDs or the Blu-rays or whatever, of their classic monster movies, depending on how much money they want to spend on Blu-ray costs, they will or will not include the Invisible Man in the lineup. But they're great films. They're really good. I, I love The Invisible Agent, which I guess is that's so maybe, silly, but I love it. Maybe that's a a challenge to some director out there, some aspiring director. Give us a, what is the modern invisible man? Well, the one from a couple of years ago wasn't that, were you about to say what it looked like? I was going to say what it looked like, <laughs> but I mean, in, in terms of not just the plastic, I look in a lot, so stuff swelled on me, now I'm invisible, I have problems also in my life because I'm a human. Well, the one that came out of the invisible to be invisible. This guy was wearing the invisibility suit. Yeah. Phantom, he was using it to menace his arms. So okay. he kind of it played into um, you know, stalking fears and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, and and it wasn't a bad film. And he ran a little long. It wasn't a bad film. It was from Blumhouse, uh, which is kind of the modern core studio yeah. these days. Yes, I'd like to see that same sort of thing, but take the suit and try to do good, but then it goes long. See, that's why I love The Invisible Agent so much, yeah. which is the third film in The Invisible Man cycle from Universal, where a descendant of The Invisible Man turns invisible and is like, you know what, I'm going to go fight Nazis. And I love that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't argue with, with his goals. Like, if I lived at that time, yeah, let's go fight off. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> and he still get shot, though? Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, the, the worst part for me is in those films, the clothes never turn invisible. So he's behind enemy lines in Nazi Germany World War II, stark naked. You know, I, and I know he's invisible, <laughs> nobody can see him, but again, there's that confidence thing. But man. you know he's naked. I, I would, if it was me, I would know that I'm naked. And it would just, I would have a hard time. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'd- what if you sneezed and turned visible or something? I don't, I don't know if that's how that works, but... Okay, I don't want... Yeah. That's that's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we've got all the Godzilla movies to come out now. You know? I am excited for Godzilla Minus One. Yes. Yes, we've got the new Godzilla movie coming from Japan, which is going to be great. And you've got the new uh, Godzilla or Monster series coming onto Alpha TV. Which is proud of the legendary push of the, like, the King Kong Godzilla movies they just recently did. Uh, there's a TV series coming in. Does he put Russell's in there? I could be wrong. 
But it, that, that looks like it could be fun. It might be worth picking up a trial of Apple TV to check out. You know what I've really been enjoying watching with you lately is uh, the available on YouTube uh, episodes of Ultraman. Yes. And uh, that, that is something we talk about on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ultraman being a tokusatsu franchise from Japan. Died you spin, fights giant monsters. It's over in 30 minutes until next week, and I love it. And toys, toys, toys! Oh boy, it's just the toys. <laughs> but uh, you have regu a regular con a contributor, right? Again, going back to Mark Maskey, the guy who does the cryptid stuff, he loves Ultraman, so he contributes an Ultraman segment on my podcast every single week, and he hasn't missed a week yet. Only time that it hasn't appeared on the podcast is when I've screwed up and forgot to employee. Sorry, Mark. And anything else coming up in the rest of 2023 for Monster Kid Radio that yes. you want to make sure our listeners know about? So, uh, in Rose City Comic Con, we're doing the big decade edition about monsters. It's going to be a celebration of 10 years of Monster Kid Radio on the weird stage on Friday. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to be there. That's going to be there. Definitely. Chris McMillan from the Shadow of the Portland is going to be there, which Ooh. is very important to me because Chris was on episode number one of the Oh, that's me. He's coming back to the big 10-year celebration, and we have one more chair, and I'm still trying to fill it with somebody. Fingers and tentacles crossed, and the emails I've sent to answer. Uh, but that's coming up in the very, very near future. In terms of the podcast itself, every Thursday-ish, there's a new episode coming out at monsterkidradio.net. I do have a flyer up here for you learning a little bit more about it. November, we're going to be doing a themed month. Nosferatu November, where we talk about nothing but vampire films in the month of November. And I can tell you, it's been confirmed, Dominique Lanzis, who is a regular contributor to the show, who is uh, an incredible author and, and monster kid and scholar, for set, is going to come on to talk about Blackula. Oh, fun. Starring William Marshall from 1970s vampire film, and that's going to be great. Hey. And then in December, we're doing a month-long series of dinosaur movies. Dinosaur December! Dinosaur December. Dino December. Dino December. Authors TV me Sullivan, Mandy Hine, uh, Professor Cushing's Shady with Wars, and worked on the chill role-playing game in a lot of advanced Dungeons and Dragons back in the day, novelization of Monos and Light Zombie. He's going to come on to talk about a dinosaur, dinosaur movie with me. Uh, and then I've got a few more weeks as well to, to book. I think Robert Kelly from A Court of Monsters will be joining me at some point as well for that. That sounds really cool. Everybody got to be thinking so you can uh, join in in December. We want to know in the comments what your uh, favorite dinosaur is. Or even just uh, throw in the comments for this week. Any d specific dinosaurs? Dinosaur movies or vampire stuff for Nosferatu November. Absolutely. Uh, we're also making sure that the Twitch channel is still up and running. We are live on Twitch a lot. Well, I say live. The movies are over 50, 60, 70 years old. I don't know how live they are. But we are showing classic monster movies on our Twitch channel all the time now at twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. Yeah, if you're like me and you got like a big baking project uh, that you're going to be working on do, because it's fall or some sort of crafting thing that you're doing or maybe a cosplay that you're working on and you just need that great thing, you know, just in the corner of your eye uh, to keep you... Plugging ahead on your project, just uh, bring that up and, and plug it in. We'll keep it going. I was, I was totally free. And there's a chat going. It's the only time I'm going to encourage anybody to talk during a movie. Then there's a <laughs> chat going. So if you want to chat it up with anybody who happens to be watching at the same time as you, feel free to start a conversation or join the conversation. I might even be around. Kind of depends. Obviously, I'm not there right now. I'm here. But, you know. 
Uh, we are probably going to start wrapping up unless you have any other questions. Is that? No? Hey, thanks for sticking around. Yeah, thanks for sticking around. This is really it. fun. And, uh, we're going to see everything. Mothman, you know? But what about Mothman? I'll ask him. I love that so much. So, Mark, if you're listening, um, she was just telling us about, uh, is it a webcomic or a comic book? A webcomic web where all the cryptids just kind of hang out, being themselves, making fun of Mothman because he dances around the light all the time. I love this. I want to read this. We're going to find this. I'm going to yeah. find this. Yeah. Uh, one of them, they give Mothman some uh, light up sneakers. So oh. Light up sneakers on Mothman. Okay, I love this. Mm -hmm. I love this so much. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's Thank amazing you. and cool. That's true. You know what, Monster Kids? We're, we're, we'll put up Tola. Too bad if we put up Tola. I like that. Are certain cryptids monsters or no? You know. I like that. We'll, we'll put up a poll uh, on our Patreon. Yes. Which anybody can, we'll make sure it's free to everybody. Uh, go to patreon.com slash monster radio and we'll set up a poll for that and, and that, we'll check that back in like next week and I love that so much perfect let me see Mothman in light of sneakers <laughs> that sounds so funny I want to cosplay with Mothman in light of sneakers <laughs> <laughs> so before we move on with the end of the show Pippin the person who was in the crowd who was asking those amazing questions and I appreciate it did ask about Things like Mothman and the Wolfman in particular. Is the Wolfman a cryptid? And I told Pippin that I would reach out to Mark Matsky, who not only covers Ultraman here on the show, but also knows his stuff when it comes to cryptids. Now, I asked him what he thought when we were asked whether or not the Wolfman was a cryptid. And this is the email that I sent Mark. Mark, would you consider the Wolfman a cryptid? Now, my initial inclination is to say no. But there are those stories about wolf-like creatures out there in the world, like the Beasts of Bray Road or the Beasts of Gavendon, I probably mispronounced that, I don't speak French, ha ha ha, that could be kind of connected to werewolf stories. Maybe, I don't know, it's a stretch, I know. This is what Mark said in response. Derek, super interesting question. I'm with you. The Wolfman would be a no, depending on how one defines the term cryptid. I tend to define a cryptid as an undiscovered, unclassified animal, since the cryptozoology refers to hidden, obscure, or unknown animals, keeping things in a somewhat scientific realm. The Wolfman is obviously a fictional character, so right away he's a step removed from cryptids, which are purportedly real. But even if we allow the concept of werewolves to stand, which is fine, there is a general sense that they have supernatural origins, along with skinwalkers. This is not a uniform opinion, though, and the phenomena has been considered from a purely material standpoint, usually using the term dogman. The Beast of Bray Road has been examined from all of the above angles, supernatural, upright canid, etc., but on balance, the dogman, wolfman, werewolf enigma tends to rest in the supernatural category, all of which is to say that while the wolfman does not meet the strict criteria of cryptid, I think he could definitely hang out with Sasquatch and company when the moon is full. Of course. 
Well, Pippin, I hope that helps answer the question a little bit more. I thought it was fun to think about. So thank you for posing that to the panel at KoofCon and allowing me to defer to somebody who knows a lot more about this sort of stuff. And of course, Mark, thanks for playing along. I know you've been busy doing the Ultraman thing, but uh, thanks for putting on your cryptozoologist hat for me there for this week's episode of the podcast. Thanks for being here and thanks for being part of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for listening and downloading and sharing tweets and reposting Facebook messages and just spreading the word about Monster Kid Radio. That's the best thing that you can do for us is help spread the word about Monster Kid Radio and the love that we have discussing classic monsters and for the classic monster movies themselves. It's just so much fun to talk about this stuff and get our heads in those spaces and, and think about these, you know what? It's really late. I'm tired. I'm not making much sense and I want to get the episode out. So I'm just going to say thank you. Please check us out over at monsterkidradio.net where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio. Over there, you're going to find our contact information. I mentioned it at the top of the show. I'm going to mention it again, monsterkidradio at gmail.com or our voicemail line it's uh, 360-524-2484. Please call and leave us a voicemail if you have any interest in having your voice heard on the show. Love to hear from you and hear what you think about, well, everything that we do here at Monster Kid Radio. Next week, we are going to play the recording that we take at Rose City Comic Con, where we celebrate 10 years, a decade of dishing about monsters on Monster Kid Radio. It's scheduled to be me, Beth, David Heath and Chris McMillan. David Heath has been on the show quite a bit. He's a dear friend of Monster Kid Radio. And Chris McMillan, he was on episode number one way back in the day. And I can't wait to have him join us for episode 637. Yeah. Wow. He's done a lot with us. He's been with us for a long time. And Beth, of course, you all know who she is. She's my better half. And I was jokingly referring to her as the eye candy earlier. But really, she brings a really cool perspective as well not being as into this as deeply as folks like me, she still has a heck of a perspective, and I love getting her take on classic monsters, especially when I share a classic monster movie that I love with her. I love it when we're out and about and people see her backpack, which is uh, in the shape of the Gill Man from Creature from the Black Lagoon. People ask about it, and she always refers to it as, that's our boy, that's our monster, and I, I love that. I love that, and I can't wait to hear what she has to say during the panel that we're recording at Rose City Comic Con. If you hear this in time and you want to come down to support us and join us, please feel free. We'd love to see you. I'll be the guy wearing the Monster Kid radio shirt. So that's coming up next week. Not sure what's coming up the week after that, but as I've been telling y'all, November is Nosferatu November, where we're going to be talking about vampire movies and Dinosember, Dinosaurs in December, is coming up as well. Of course, we've got the big Haunted House event coming Scaregrounds PDX in the Portland, Oregon area it just named one of the top 50 haunt attractions in the USA. It's going to be a good time this October. And I've got a few other special announcements to make about the future of, well, me and Monster Kid Radio and Team Death. We're going to save that for the Rose City Comic Con event. And then, of course, you're going to hear that next week here on the show. Until next week, remember, hey, wait a minute. What am I doing? I promised everybody a poll. Go check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash monsterkidradio where you can take part in the poll that we mentioned during the KoovCon recording. Are cryptids classic monsters? Do they have a home in classic monster discussion? Is the Mothman a classic monster? 
head over there and take part in the poll. You do not have to be a paying patron to participate in this poll. Although, if you're a paying patron, thank you so much because you helped me pay some bills uh, last month. And uh, just, I appreciate just so much. Okay, go check that out. In the meantime, until next week, remember the Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Non-Ported License. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song A Choir of Wolves. That is copyright 2023. The Dread Tones, you can hear that on their album The Dead Frequency. Go check them out at The Dread Tones bandcamp.com or follow the link in the show notes and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Sarah Kemp Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.